to be the name of the Lord. If you wouldn't mind just staying standing with us, we're going to read God's Word. If you haven't been with us, we're going through a series this summer on Psalms and Proverbs uh, called Everyday Faith. And this week we are on Psalm 56. So if you have a Bible, I would love if you would open it up, follow along. If you do not have a Bible this morning, it'll be either on the screen behind me or if you can't see that one, the screen's around here. Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise in the Lord, whose word I praise in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's continue. Well, I actually do want to pray once more. Uh, prayer is such an important part of hearing and declaring God's word. So let's just quiet our hearts and pray once more. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word that we might know you. And we thank you for Jesus, who is the word incarnate, who revealed you perfectly. And we ask, oh Lord, in this gathering this morning that we would see more of you. That you would place your finger on our lives and how you would have us live in light of this word. And, O oh Lord, as I seek to declare your word, I pray for your grace. It's my only hope. I pray for your help in our midst, that your word would go forth and prosper in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Last month, in this last month, we have seen one tragic event after another. The mass shooting in Orlando, Florida, to the week of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Falcon Heights, Minnesota, and Dallas, Texas shootings in a matter of three days. And last week, the terrorist attacks all around the world. And I read an article that in our city, in this last month alone, 72 homicides and it's deeply troubling. And I think it's important for us to talk about as believers, as, as Christians, how do we respond? How do we, how do we deal with information like this? And this is not the whole thing. But to begin, I want to suggest that Scripture calls us not to be indifferent or uncaring or cold but to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. 
to mourn the loss of life that was created with infinite worth in the eyes of God. So as Christians, how do we voice this? How do we mourn with those who mourn and and weep with those who weep? Is there any guidance for us? How do we deal with the troubling and hard things of life? Even on the smaller scale, but significant things in our individual lives. I, I know that there are personal losses and health concerns and family concerns and relational concerns and financial concerns and, and workplace concerns. And these are very real. These large scale and small scale events have so much to do with our everyday lives. So are they a part of our everyday faith? How do we bring them before God? In the Psalms, laments give us a voice during times like these. Laments are about honestly bringing the struggles of life before God. And did you know that there are far more laments in the book of Psalms than anything else? One third of all the Psalms are laments. And that means that this matters to God. He wants us to voice these things, to bring them before them, but, but before Him. But what does this look like? Sometimes we struggle with this because we don't have a lot of experience with it. I love Christian music. I love worship music. It's pretty much all that I listen to. But there's not a lot of lament out there. And I don't mean to be critical. I think that Christian radio is a gift. But have you ever noticed that it's mostly positive and encouraging? Sometimes we feel like as Christians we have to be happy. Sometimes we feel like we have to be like Mr. Potato Head and only slap on the smile face when we come to worship. And I'm all for laughter. And I'm all for genuine joy. But genuine joy involves working through the hard things in life. So what do we do? Today's psalm, Psalm 56, shows us what it looks like. It gives us a voice. This is a lament of David. It gives us a voice to work through the hard things of our everyday lives and our everyday world to make it a part of our everyday faith. So I'd like to invite you to turn to Psalm 56, if you haven't already. And this lament in this psalm can be broken down into four parts that will follow along. David's situation, his petition, his affirmation, and his declaration. So the first part begins in verses 1 and 2. We hear David's desperate voice. Be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. These verses begin to describe David's situation. Notice that it's worded in the present. Not as if he's through it and looking back. For David, he's in the midst of this distress, laying his situation before the Lord. He doesn't quite know how this is going to play out. He says that someone is trampling him or oppressing him. And both of these words have to do with intense pressure. Trampling elsewhere means to crush something. And the word oppress literally means to squeeze something. 
Last Thursday, I was eating dinner and squeezing a lemon over my fish. And I thought to myself, oh, this is like Psalm 56. And then I thought, what has happened to me? It's like David is being held in a tight grip. He feels like he's being crushed and squeezed, pressure all around. The ESV captures an additional nuance in these verses. See, the verses move from singular to plural. Verse 1, a man, singular, tramples me. But verse 2, enemies, plural, trample me. Verse 1, he is oppressed by an attacker, singular. But verse 2, many attack him. And the, the effect is that the situation is intensifying. It's getting worse. It's like all of a sudden he looks up and he's surrounded. Like the pressure, the opposition is closing in on him. Have you ever felt that way? I think it, it must be how the, the Israelites must have felt when they were fleeing from Egypt and the Exodus and they get to the Red Sea and they look back and all of a sudden there's this massive Egyptian army with chariots and horses and warriors and closing on them and they're looking and it feels like they're at a dead end. They don't see any way forward. It's pressing on them. How will the situation play out? The psalm has a back and forth pattern to it. So David continues to elaborate on his situation down in verses 5 through 7. So let's take a look, starting with verse 5. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. And wrath casts down the peoples, O God. David begins in verse 5 by saying, all day long. This is the third time in the first five verses that we hear, all day long. David's opponents are after him continually. The pressure he feels is unrelenting. It's consuming And the rest of verses 5 and 6 picture David's opponents constantly plotting against him, making plans to destroy him, whispering, watching his every move, waiting to pounce on his life. He says they lurk. It's like adversity is hiding around every corner. They watch his steps or literally his heels. It seems like they're right at his heels everywhere he goes. David feels like he can't make one wrong step, like he's walking on a tightrope. And when you're on a tightrope, you're not thinking to yourself, did I leave the basement light on or not? Right? No, the, the intensity of the situation is right in your face. The intensity of the situation is before him, morning, day, and, and night, it's... This might be an extreme example of adversity. But it still powerfully captures what it's like to face hardship in various degrees and forms in our own lives. You see, the Psalms were not written for us as observers. The Psalms were written for us to relate to in our own lives, to take up this song and make it as our own when we face something similar in our own experience. So we might not be able to relate to a a royal army chasing us or being trapped in enemy territory unless one of us is secretly like Jason Bourne. But most of us can all relate to what it's like to feel fear or anxiety. 
the weight of a heavy situation pressing on us. Most of us can relate to what David describes here in our own experience of different kinds of adversity. At times, maybe we can relate to feeling crushed or squeezed, tightly gripped by a situation. Or at times, like the pressure is mounting, surrounding us and overwhelming us. Or at times, like we're at a dead end, stuck, and it seems like all we see is closed doors and not open ones. Or at times, like we can't afford to make a mistake. Or at times, like we're constantly grappling with something all day long, morning, evening, and night. I, I know that for me, I can relate. I, I have felt that squeeze. I have felt that pressure. I have come to times when it seems like a dead end. I've grappled with things in my mind, morning, evening, and night, and at different times and in different ways, I think, I think we all probably can relate. And so if this is something that is such a part of our lives, doesn't it make sense that the central prayer book of Scripture has so much to say about it? Psalms like these give us a voice during times like these. They help us know how to respond And what we see here is that David begins by just laying his situation before the Lord. That's his first response. And it's not that David needs to give the information to God. It's that he needs to give his burden to God. He begins by unburdening himself before the Lord. You know, as a community, I I believe with my whole heart that we need one another. We need to bear one another's burdens... But we also need to know that God is the ultimate burden bearer. Glance over really quick at the psalm right before this, Psalm 55. Towards the end in verse 22, look at what it says. Cast your burden on the Lord, on the Lord, and He will sustain you. And this is echoed again in 1 Peter 5, 7. Many of us might know it. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And the only other time that this word cast is used in the New Testament is when someone places a blanket on the back of a donkey. God is willing. He invites us. In fact, He calls us to take our burden like a blanket and just just place it before Him. David begins his lament with just that. He places his own burden before, his, before the Lord. David was out there on his own, but he did not bear this on his own. God is the ultimate burden bearer. When is the last time that you laid your burden honestly before the Lord? Just like setting down a blanket. The first part of David's lament is his situation. The next part is his petition. And this is actually found at the very beginning and at the very end of the description of his situation. Like two brackets around this section. Verse 1 and verse 7. That's his petition. Verse 1 says this. Be gracious to me, O God. That's his petition. There is a sense here that David is acknowledging that God does not owe him anything. It's not based on, I scratched your back, you scratched mine. David's request is based on the fact that God is not stingy or reserved with his acts of love and help. He is generous. He is gracious. So David simply asks, 
Because you are gracious, O God. Be that to me. And verse 7 is the second half of David's petition. It says, For their crime will they escape, and wrath cast down the peoples, O God. And these words are harsh. They are unsettling, and we find similar statements throughout the book of Psalms, and we often struggle with them. And I'm not going to pretend like this is not difficult, because it is. So we have to ask, what do we do with words like these in the Psalms? How do we make sense of them? How do we echo them in our own prayer lives? We're going to go into this more later in our series, but it's here in the text, so for now, I just have a few observations. Number one, first, these words point us to what to do with our reaction to being wronged. The fact that these words are spoken to God in prayer is significant. In prayer. The key is that by praying, David is giving the situation to God so it's no longer in David's hands for David to take care of in his way, but yielded to God for God to take care of in his perfect way. And in this situation, it was different than what David had in mind. God indeed delivered him, but it was through leading David to act like he had lost his mind And so his enemies just set him free. That was God's answer. Prayer is about entrusting a matter to God instead of taking matters into our own hands. And that keeps us from sinning in our anger. And as it says in Ephesians 4.27, giving the devil a foothold. And that also enables us to fulfill the New Testament ethic to turn the other cheek because we no longer have to lash back ourselves. We've given it to God and He will take care of it in His perfect way. We don't have to anymore. And I know that probably all of us in this room have been wronged in some way, some deeply. And you might feel within yourself the temptation to try to get back to Wait for that opportunity to pounce with words or actions. But based on this psalm, I want to just right now encourage you to call you to give it to God. To set how you feel, your reaction before God in prayer and trust Him to bring a solution, to work it out in His perfect way, with perfect wisdom, with perfect justice, and with perfect love. He sees all the details. He knows what is best. Place it in His hands and go forth free, free from taking matters into your own hands, free from holding on to it. Second, These words also point us to cry out against injustice. David was the target of being trampled, oppressed, attacked, injured, vicious schemes, and the destruction of his life. Verse verse 5 says that they were bent on evil towards him. So David cries out to God to oppose it. When we see injustice, whether against ourselves or against others, we need to cry out to God. For God's ways to prevail, it's about looking at the events in our city and our country and our world and saying, God, prevail over the violence, prevail over the injustice, and prevail over the hatred. I would love to see us come together more as a church in times like these and pray like this. I think it's a significant part of our role of being salt and light in the world. 
Third, these words point us to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate answer to these prayers. He's the ultimate fulfillment. Jesus will ultimately come and right every wrong. His kingdom is coming and perfect justice will reign and He will wipe every tear away. And until His kingdom comes in its fullness, He uses us to spread it by His power. And there's another way that He fulfills this prayer. David, in this, in this verse, David asks for just punishment of sin. That's what he cries out for. He cries out for God's wrath upon it. And God ultimately answered this prayer to pour out His wrath against sin by taking it Himself, by the Son of God standing in our place, enduring the just verdict for our sin, dying and rising again so that we might go free. He's the answer to this prayer. The fulfillment. So when we read through the Psalms and see these kinds of expressions, they point us to do with, they point us to what to do with our reaction to being wronged. They point us to cry out against injustice and they point us to Jesus. Aren't you glad that God knew exactly how to answer David's prayer? Even though it was raw and intense, it was given to God. We should not be afraid to bring to God whatever is on our hearts, knowing that He knows exactly how to answer it. And looking back on David's petition as a whole, I'm struck by the fact that it's only two brief lines. It's like relatively small compared to the other parts of the psalm. And this challenges us. It's not that that it's wrong to bring our request before God. He commands us to in Scripture. He says, ask. Ask me. But I think sometimes what happens, myself included, is that it's easy for the petition part to, to somehow take over all of the prayer. For, it, for the whole thing to just be petition. And we have to be careful not to end up treating God like a, like a big vending machine in the sky asking Him to give us goods. Instead, He is shepherd, king, father, friend, shaping us through prayer for our good. We have to be careful not to bring consumerism into our prayer lives, but instead, communingism. I made that word up so that maybe we just might remember it. (laughs) Communingism. It's about communing with God through laying before Him what's truly going on in our hearts and lives, reflecting on Scripture, worshiping Him and thanking Him and and also making requests. I have to ask myself, is my prayer life more than petition? Am I communing with God? Is it about communingism? The next part of David's lament is his affirmation. And this begins in verses 3 through 4. We read. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This is David's affirmation. Notice how it begins in verse 3. It says, When I am at peace, I trust in God. When I'm having a good day, I I trust in God. 
When my life is worry-free and problem-free, I trust in God. No, it says, when I am afraid. David, who stared down Goliath. When I am afraid, I trust in God. In the midst of fear, in the face of tremendous adversity, when everything seemed to be going right, to be going wrong, David places his trust in God. And this is the point upon which the lament pivots. It turns. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, and one-third of those are laments. So mathematically, there are about 50 laments in the book of Psalms. 50 laments. And, when you, and, and I want you to know that all but one, Psalm 88, all but one have a point upon which the lament turns. And it's always something about God. Look for it as you read through the Psalms. This is part and parcel of what it means to lament according to Scripture. That, that turning point. It doesn't ignore the fact that there are times in life when everything seems to be crumbling. It shares that with raw honesty. But in general, what makes a lament a lament in Scripture is that in the midst of when everything seems to be crumbling, it hangs on to something about God. It's the sense of falling. But then you hang on to something about God and the psalm turns. Sometimes slightly, sometimes drastically, but it turns. So what is David affirming here about God? That God is trustworthy. That David can trust Him. He repeats it. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, I trust. It's like David is looking around at the situation and saying, God, I know that you've got me. And in particular, he focuses on something specific in this psalm that he trusts about God. Notice the word pairs in verses 3 and 4. These are like frames of a picture to highlight what's in the middle. So the outer edge of the frame, verse 3 at the very top, afraid. Verse 4 at the bottom, afraid. And the inner edge of the frame, verse 3, trust. And then verse 4, trust. It's these word pairs that are frames. And then in the middle of the picture is this. The thing that draws our focus is this. In God, whose word I praise. That's what David is highlighting. He trusts God at his word. Or you could say he trusts God's promises. David's situation seems to be crumbling with adversity, but he is hanging on to God's promises. David doesn't know what's going to happen yet. When nothing else is sure, he looks to God's promises as sure, and we need that. When we are in the thick of it, we need that promise from God's Word that we grab onto, that we keep going back to, and it brings us through. It makes the difference whether someone shares it or we read it or we Remember it. In the different challenges, big and small, that I have faced, I can think of times when God has reminded me of His promises, and that is exactly what I needed. Promises like He is with us. He provides. 
He forgives us. His love is new each day. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Years ago, a friend of mine passed away. And I just remember holding on to the promise that God comforts those who mourn. It was simple, but it was what I needed in that moment. And it made the difference. David begins verse 3 by saying, When I am afraid. But towards the end of verse 4, he says, I shall not be afraid. When I am afraid, I shall not be afraid. When I am afraid, I shall not be afraid. And then he adds, What can flesh do to me? In other words, what power do they ultimately have over me? The defender beside me is greater than the enemies before me. No matter what happens, I will be okay. We are witnessing David's perspective shifting the turn. The tight grip of fear is being loosened. Why? What takes place between verse 3 at the beginning and verse 4 at the end? David places his trust in God and holds on to his promises. It makes the difference. But it doesn't stop there. David's affirmation keeps culminating. It picks back up in verses 8 through 11. We read, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my fear and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? In these verses, David continues to build upon the fact that he can trust in God. Look at the remarkable picture in verse 8. It's one of the most stunning ones that I can think of. David begins by saying God counts his tossings. My dad owns a baseball card shop in Iowa and he often counts his cards. When you have a number of things that are valuable to you, you count them. You notice if even one is missing, you keep track of an exact inventory because it matters so much to you. God keeps close track He's paying careful attention. He notices every single one of David's tossings. Tossing refers to the back and forth caused by turmoil, whether it's tossing and turning in bed or shaking your head or wandering to and fro. For David, he experienced much of this alone. But he says not a single one escaped God's notice. It matters to God. Similarly, David describes his tears being put in God's personal bottle. I love this. In other words, God is not wasting a single drop, but keeping it and remembering it. Nothing falls to the ground or is forgotten. And that doesn't have to mean tears literally. I know that some people aren't criers as much. But tears as a picture of pain, pain in the heart and pain in the body. In the face of adversity, we need to know that not a single one of our tossings escapes God's notice. And not an ounce of our pain falls to the ground. And yes, this is true because God is all-knowing. 
But the emphasis of these images is that it's also true because God is all caring. He is not detached or indifferent to our struggle. These images provide an intimate picture of his personal care and attentiveness. This this blows me away. Who are we? The God of all creation puts our tears in a bottle. The picture here of God's attentiveness reminds me of Hagar way back in Genesis 16. She was in the midst of adversity, embroiled in trouble, fleeing in the wilderness from Sarai. But God met her there in the midst of it. He cared for her. He spoke words she needed to hear. And she responds by calling him the God who sees. And maybe you need to hear that today. The God we serve is the God who who sees. He sees you. He sees you. David continues on and keeps building. He says, my enemies will turn back. The situation will not overcome me when I call on the one who is bigger than the situation. And he keeps building. The psalm reaches its heights by the end of verse 9. This is the high point. He says, this I know that God is for me. David doesn't know what will happen. He doesn't know exactly how all this will turn out. But he does know this one thing, that God is for him. We can be for a baseball team. We can want what is good for them and want what is best for them. But as humans, we are most often powerless to actually bring it about. It stays at the level of desire. But get this, get this. David says, God, God is for me. He is the one who can and will bring it about. That's the one who is for us. Can you believe that? God is for what is good for us. Even when we don't know what that is, God is for what is best for us. Even when we don't know what that is. In the face of adversity, in whatever form it may take, I I pray that we remember this one thing I know, that God is for me. Next, David repeats some of the same lines from above. The repetition serves to reiterate the turning point. It echoes through the halls of this psalm so we don't miss it. It drills it into our hearts. In the clamor of adversity, it calls out louder this one truth. We can trust in God and in His promises. That's what David affirms. The final part of his lament is found in verses 12 through 13. We read, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is David's declaration, the final part of his lament. And there's just two quick things that I want us to see here. The first thing that David declares is his commitment to honor God and give him thanks. 
As we see God's faithfulness in the face of adversity, we resolve to give Him thanks. We thank God, first of all, because it's what He deserves. I think of the ten people with leprosy that that Jesus healed and only one came back and gave Him thanks. Let's not be like the other nine. And we thank God because it reminds us that God is the one who, who is ultimately responsible for bringing us through. It's not our own strength that we look to, but His. And that's important because when we face a situation with, that's beyond our strength, that's okay because we're looking to the One who is far beyond our strength. We thank God, acknowledging that it's Him that we have relied upon. He's our source of strength. He's our deliverer. And not ourselves. And we thank God lastly because it, it serves as a testimony to others. Others need to hear it. It invites others to come and see what God has done. So when others are faced with adversity, when they're in the midst of it, when the dark clouds are just shrouding what they can see, they can be encouraged by our story to keep looking to God. The second thing that David declares is that the situation is overcome. This is the final thing he declares. Notice how verse 13 is in the past tense. Everything that has come before this moment has been in the present tense. And then all of a sudden we have verse 13 and it's in the past tense. It says this, you have delivered, you have delivered my soul from death. And the amazing thing is, this verse is written in the context of David still being in the midst of adversity, but he words it as if it's already done. David has a change of attitude before a change of circumstances. The way he sees the situation is changed as he brings it before God, and in that that way, the situation might not be over. But for David... It is overcome. Like David, as we bring our situation before the Lord, you and I can experience a change of attitude before a change in circumstances. And in that situation, and in that way, the situation might not be instantly over, but day by day, it can be overcome. I want you to know, That it can be overcome. David's lament gives us a voice for bringing the hard and troubling things of life before God. And in the few moments remaining, I want us to—I want to give us an opportunity to put this to practice. I want to invite us to walk through the process of bringing our own lament before the Lord. And my hope is that by taking a few moments doing this together, we will have a roadmap to bring it into our lives outside of these walls. But I don't want this to be like pretend. This is the real thing. I want us to give us an opportunity to actually pray a guided lament together. So based on our psalm today, we will walk through four steps of lament, reflecting David's situation, his petition, his affirmation, and his declaration. And each begins with a C. So the band is going to play some music in the background. And I just want to encourage us to bow our heads, if you would, if you're willing.
and quiet our hearts as we each bring our own personal prayer of lament before God. And I'll just, I'll just guide it. I'll just guide it with four steps. So the first step, the first step is to cast your burden on God. This means to lay your situation before the Lord with the same honesty that we saw in David. And this could be something that is troubling you in your health or your relationships or your family or your workplace or especially in light of recent tragedy, something at large in the city or the nation or the world. The violence that we see, the hatred, the devaluing of life, the dividedness along racial lines. Take a few moments to honestly lay it before the Lord. The second step is to cry out to God. This means to make your petition to God, asking Him to bring His solution. So you can take a few moments now to do that. Third step is to cling to something about God. This is when we affirm something about God, His character, who He is and what He does, or His promises. You can ask God to remind you of a promise from His Word that you can hang on to. Take a few moments to do that. fourth and final step is to commit to thanking God. This means resolving in our hearts to not let God's answer go unnoticed and sharing it with others. You can ask Him to give you eyes to see how He is at work. Take a few moments to do that. Cast your burden on God. Cry out to God. Cling to something about God. And commit to thanking God. David's lament gives us a voice to work through the hard things of our everyday lives and our everyday world to make it a part of our everyday faith. I'll end with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
verses 16 through 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. At this time, I want to invite you to stand and sing.